Broadcasting live from the Badlands of Texas, you're listening or watching Midnight Radio. I'm your host, Jerry Adams. I've got a lot of good information to go from to go over today. Let's just go right into it here. First of all, I don't know if you guys noticed or not, but we had a documentary that came out 5 a.m. this morning. It was about a murder that took place in Ireland. And the name of the alleged suspect, right, the alleged, because everything's alleged until it's proven. He goes to court tomorrow, by the way, for the murder of Matthew, an 89-year-old man who he beat to death with his own cane. If you're a member, you'll be able to watch that video. We released it, but then we had to go to members only. So if you're a member only of YouTube or Spotify, you're able to get that. I guess that's a members-only benefit. So there you go with that. Uh, yesterday we had our first Midnight Riders group workshop. I think it was very well. Maybe if some of you guys are in actually in the chat room tonight you can tell people what it's like i think everybody learned stuff i know i did i think everybody enjoyed it so if you're interested in becoming a joining the writing class or if you're interested in becoming a member and knowing what benefits you get for becoming a member stick around at the end of the show and we're going to go over that for you now going around the internet i saw and I'm sure you have too, because some of you guys uh, expressed your concerns to me. The paperwork from the defense in answer of discovery or requesting discovery. So I want to go over that real quick. So first thing I want to go over this story, this is from Inside Edition, which is not where I heard of the concerns of the story, but we're going to go over this. Then we're going to go into the actual PDF of the discovery document, and then we're going to go into a, a second op opinion by an expert. So Brian Koberger murder case, prosecutors turn over evidence, including 1,865 photos and 995 pages of documents to the defense. A court filing obtained by Inside Edition Digital states that police Reports and documents which are in the possession of the state have been disclosed to counsel for the defendant as of January 23rd. Brian Nothingberger and his public defender earlier this week got their first look at the evidence prosecutors may use at trial. A court filing obtained by Inside Edition and by Midnight Radio. I'll show you guys here in a minute. Look, boom, I got it too. Wait, what the hell is that? There it is. We're going to go over that in a minute. Anyway, it states that the documents in possession of the state have been disclosed to counsel. The file includes 995 pages of documents, one audio visual file, and 1,865 photos, according to an exhibit attached to the court filing. We'll go over that. The state is also asking the court to deny some of the defendant's requests for discovery in the court filing, including the identity of potential informants. Now, this is of particular interest, guys, this will be number 10 on the document we read. It reads like this. To the extent that information exists regarding an informant who is not going to be produced as a witness, including recordings of written statements of an informant or that identif identify as informant, such information is not subject to disclosure, and the state asserts informant privilege rights of prosecuting attorney. The following also notes that a written list of the names and addresses of all persons having knowledge of relevant facts who may be called by the state as witnesses 
at the time has been or will be provided separately. This is the state's response to request for discovery. Nothing Burger is currently being held without Bell, and we all know that. He's accused of the murders. We all know that he's accused of the murders of Madison Mogan, 21, Kaylee Gonsalves, 21, Zena Kernodal, 20, and Ethan Chapin. The four university students were stabbed to death at an off-campus house in Moscow on November 13th, according to the Latok County Coroner. Nothing Burger will not enter a formal plea until his next hearing, which is about, what, six months from now? But a previous public defense assigned to represent the Washington State University PhD student after his arrest in Pennsylvania has said that he expects to be exonerated at trial. That was his first. That was his first lawyer. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Oh, such a messy, such a messy document here. Always, always just garbage. There we go. That's better. All right. So as I said, the interesting part is 10. And I went over this with a fine-tooth comb, guys, and I've had legal dealings before, and I can tell you, and I got a second opinion, that this looks like just standard things that are in any uh, request for disclosure. If you've ever been divorced, it looked much the same. So 10 says this, it says to the extent that information exists regarding an informant who is not going to be produced as a witness, including recordings or witness statements of an informant or that identify an informant, such information is not subject to disclosure and the state asserts informant privilege. Now let's go to 12. Wherever this response indicates that certain evidence or materials have been or will be disclosed or otherwise made available, such indication should not be construed as confirmation that such evidence or materials exist, but simply as an indication that if if such evidence or materials exist, they have been or they will be disclosed or made available to the defendant. So let me read uh, my my. Uh, someone's educated, knowledgeable opinion on this. I've seen the defense's request previously, and they're generic with discovery. You ask for everything under the sun, and the adverse party objects in every conceivable way. I've not seen anything that looks out of place in terms of what each side should file in this case, and it's all very typical, even with 11 the state objects to requests of anything not otherwise addressed. It means that they're not referring to anything specific. For example, I'd file discovery requests in any case asking for a witness, co-defendant, and my own client statements, even if I'm virtually or entirely certain none of them exist. Then, even if the state also knows or is virtually certain that none exist, I'll still anticipate getting an objection to anything that my request wouldn't entitle me to whether anything responsive existed or not. Sometimes I'll get requests that literally construed would on their face require me to disclose attorney-client privilege communications, whether or not any response communications are even in my possession. I'll want to go ahead and get on the record my objection because 
you've got an ongoing duty to supplement discovery if new information becomes available. So I'd object in a civil case saying something like the plaintiff objects to the foregoing request on the grounds that it as written may be construed as requesting information, which is subjected to attorney client privilege, etc. because the request itself is objectionable and not because there necessarily is any information I'm protecting. If we were to see a motion to compel production or motion to compel a privileged log, then that would indicate that the defense believes the state has something that is that it is not producing. The general idea with discovery is that you cast a whole wide net because you're allowed to ask for anything reasonably calculated to lead to this the, the discovery of admissible evidence. So I hope that helps. I hope that clears that up moving right along. Oh, I, what is the term? And I know somebody somebody else other than me could Google it because my screen is taken up now. I'd appreciate it. And let me check. Let me look on chat right now. How are you guys doing? You guys look like you're doing fine. I see someone got a membership. Congratulations, Mike. Dropping mama. Welcome. Have a bowl of Fruit Loops. Let's continue on with this. I want to know what you guys think about women being attracted to serial killers or murderers. There's a term for that. If somebody could look that up for me and put that in there, I'd appreciate the help. This woman right here, she's going around the internet. Her name is Brittany J. Hislop. Am I saying that correctly? Hislope? Hislop? Some people are calling her creepy as she loves suspect Brian Nothingburger. Have you guys seen this? Says the woman has been creating a lot of buzz lately, but for all the wrong reasons. After declaring her love for the prime suspect in the Idaho quadruple murders case, Brittany on her Facebook page has received multiple posts pronouncing her admiration for Brian the Nothingburger Bicknose. She also apparently has several letters to him. All right. So the term you guys are saying is high bristophilia. High, high, H-Y, bristophilia. High bristophilia. Hooked on phonics work for me. High bristophilia. Fascinating. I'm not sure. Well, the only reason I'm reading this, even though this is like, all over the place right now and it's not particularly interesting to me high slop is that how you say it i'm not interested that she's writing letters or that she's attracted to brian or if she's playing a game or whatever i couldn't give a crap less but if you actually start looking into her she's a fruit loop and not a fun kind of sweet tasting you know fruity fruit loop either there's something wrong here And we're going to go into that. We're going to go into that right now. This is just the outskirt of it. Then you look in and you're like, oh my. This 28-year-old PhD student, Brian, has been accused of killing Kaylee Gonsalves, Madison Mogan, Zana Kernodal, and Ethan Chapin on November 13th. He's been slapped with four counts of first-degree murder and one count of felony burglary after his arrest. While the majority of people across the world, especially in the U.S., are posting their hate towards him, High, high Slope has only 
shared about her liking him. There's no crucial information about High Slop and the social media platforms except that she's single and started her Facebook account in 2019. That's a lie. So I investigated her a little bit, and her baby's daddy was incarcerated. And although they weren't together, according to her Twitter, she still considered them an item. And she was posting um, posts about her undying affection for her baby's daddy who didn't want anything to do with her. So it seems to me like this interest in bad boys is something that's continuing with her. And if you read her writing, well, she has some challenges with the English language, or at least mastering the writing thereof. Her post dedicated to nothing burgers seemed to have begun recently. One of her bizarre public shares read, I don't want to lose sight of the seriousness of Brian's situation. And when I think of people harming him and having no mercy on him and being inhumane, I know that it affects me. And although he's innocent until proven guilty, if he did, if he did do that for reasons that are unknown to people, some people won't understand why I'd be the caring ways that I am towards him would think that he deserves things I wouldn't agree with and that would concern me for him. I don't understand what the hell she's trying to say here. Let me read this to you. This is her actual post, and it kind of lets you know where she's at. Since my last post... I seen a new video of Brian's court appearance today and the video was from the channel called live now from Fox. When I seen, when I seen it, it showed it was posted an hour ago. I hasn't seen anything about it prior to my last post with what I mentioned in my last post about parents and my mother. I want to say that some people find certain topics like that embarrassing and some people have experienced at some point in their lives feeling embarrassed of their parents. And holy schmoly, it only has 30 comments, but that is a long thing I'm not going to read for you. But it gets better. Another post from her page said, when it comes to Nothing Burger, whom I've mentioned my feelings for, I feel that even if he wouldn't have feelings for me, and although I know he has bigger things to worry about, I think it's unfortunate that if he doesn't know about me and what I've mentioned on here, that others can know, but he doesn't the hell i've added i'm someone that if i had the right man for me that's my perfect match would be so grateful that he's my closest friend and confidant that truly loves me and that i'd never experienced betrayal from and that would never wrong me like others have and this includes types of wrongdoings and deceit that are wrong towards me and unacceptable and this is another post from facebook I feel bad for this woman. I really do. First of all, you look at these posts, and it's not like she has thousands of posts. So who is this uh, gutter snipe on this website who's making her a story when she only has 30 damn likes on her post? Is it somebody that knows her? When I mentioned that growing up, my mother had a deck of tarot cards. I'm not going to read that one because it it doesn't mean crap. I'm going to put a link to all this. 
so you guys can check it out in the show notes after the show. Her words have left people disgusted as a user tweeted, she seems to have issues. I went on her old Instagram account and the way she captures her posts and talks about hoping her relationship with her incarcerated partner is good gives off weird vibes. Another user wrote, she just seems creepy. She seems to have issues. I went on her, yep. They repeated that for some reason. Uh, you want to see this? Oh, sure, why not? All right, these are our old posts. I'm going to put this on the big screen. And this is from 2019, so she's changed. All right. I cannot make this large enough for you guys to see it. So I'll tell you what, I'm just going to read it to you. You saw her picture. And I'll read it to you. I took this photo yesterday evening, 2-28-2019, between 5.30 and 6 p.m. I thought I would add it on here because I usually add the photos I take of myself on here and on Facebook as well. The other ones I'm adding on here after this one are photos I took of myself around the same time yesterday evening. I've been trying to have positive thoughts to stay optimistic about me and my son's dad, who I consider, I consider my boyfriend. His name is Chris. Him and my relationship with him are important to me. And here's the second one. I'll show you guys this one too. If I hit the right button, there you go. This is a photo of me and my... Hold on, let me get my glasses. Now that is better. This is a photo of me and my son's dad, Chris Stinger, who I have hopes of reuniting with. He was incarcerated in the photo. It was taken in March of 2011. Ah, so these are old photos. This was my first time visiting him. These are old photos, but she did post them in 2019. I see. Maybe that's why he's incarcerated. Just saying. All right. There's a reason, guys, I'm talking about this. Please, please bear with me. All right. So it seems to me clearly like this woman is having mental issues and I think she needs to talk to somebody. I don't, you know, beyond being attracted to a murderer, which is, I guess he would be considered a mass murderer. If you look at that in the catalyst of things going in her life and maybe see if she had problems before that, I'm seeing a red flag. I'm seeing maybe a need right now for an intervention. I'm just saying, I don't think people should be putting her up here, making fun of her. I see a problem. I see a lack of education and over-socialization. I see an inability for, you know, connection between a real person and a fantasy. Um, I want to know how her child is doing, who's taking care of them and her relationship with her parents. Does she have support in her life? These are questions. I think there's some red flags here, and I think this lady needs help, and I don't think it's funny. So whoever the hell wrote that article was someone 
I mean, this isn't a, a national thing. 30 people put a response to her post. I mean, that's hardly anything, and it's not funny. And let's see, what does our chat room think about it? Sounds like a cry for help. It does. Sounds like a cry for help to me. Sounds like she's beyond lonely. It, it sounds like a, a lack of understanding about relationships. Like there hasn't been a solid relationship in her life. If I'm willing to bet she's comes from a broken family, this is all wild ass speculations, of course, but man, I don't think it's funny. All right. I'm going to go ahead and open up the phone lines early here. And, uh, this might be a long show. It might be a short show. It depends on how many of you guys want to talk to old Jerry here. I do have things to go over. It's not that I don't. Because I do. All right. The phone line is now open. Waiting for you guys to call. I don't have any voicemails to play. That's all right. Ah, Yeah, uh, I feel really bad for that woman. What could be done about it? Maybe, maybe somebody there can go befriend her. I don't know. Ah, I don't know. I don't want to say. Hot ham should call. She should call that lady or should call me. Or I do have more information here. Man. Let me look on her Facebook real quick. If it lets me. La 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 All right. Let's talk more about your boy. Well, he's not our boy. Nothing burger, big nose. Oh. If you're in a foreign country, you might not be able to ring me. All right, so Brian. Okay, I already went over this one, didn't I? Oh, good thing I got a phone call then. Midnight caller line. This is Jerry. Who am I speaking with? Oh, hi. This is Hot Ham Radio. Hey, Hot Ham. How are you? I'm good. I'm trying not to look at the chat. Why? What's going tell on? Me if I, tell me if I break up at all because I, I'm not going to look at the chat. I'm going to walk away. <laughs> is Susan bothering you again? I told her about that. She said she's not no, feeling well. Know. She might have a fever and she might become delirious. I wouldn't know what a delirious season uh, would be like. I don't want to know. I don't want I don't want to know. I can't imagine. I'm not going to look. But um just about that woman um you know who's writing letters to uh Nothing Burger. Yeah, I I worry a little bit. I'd like to know people's opinion about if it's possible that her, I don't know if anybody followed the Chris Watts case, which is really toxic. (laughs) It's a horrible place to go to, but um, I used to follow it in depth and I've read like the discovery and there are all these 
every letter is literally photocopied in the discovery wow. in Chris Watts' case. So, like, I don't remember if they redacted the names of the people, but regardless, you know what? I don't think they did at some point. I'm not sure. So these letters but, that were written, they were written to Chris Watts? Yes. And who are they written yes. from? Oh, multiple women. Okay. Multiple women. And this was um, before the murder. Well, it was after it was after the murders, but it was I believe while he was in jail waiting on oh, wow. whatever. I don't know okay. if he ever I don't know if he ever read them. Um there's a lot of I don't want to get into it with the bots case. Right. But um the, like you can Google. So it sounds like you saw like something love. on those, those um, letters that disturbed you. You seem well, like you was, haven't been the same it, since you read some of those. <laughs> what would some of those women, what would some of those women's mother think if they happen to look at that and like, Hey, that's my daughter who wrote that. I hope, I hope they help them. What about their husbands? You know, well, actually, it wasn't even all women. It was men. Um, oh, my. You can Google it. No, but it, I don't think even all of them were. You have to, like, go into a deep dive on this at some point. Not into the Watts case, but into the letters. Into the letters? That were released. I'll put it on That were list. written to him during, like, during, before, I believe, before he put a plea in. It, it could be Watts could case be so letters well. and it's bring your own like bottle It's from, like, 2018. Exactly. <laughs> something, something for the Discord that I could try to put together. But um, yeah, it's it's really. I'm a little worried for this woman that because this case is looking like it's going to end up with a lot of stuff. I'll, I mean, it, nothing's even come out from the discovery, and it looks like we're heading in a direction where. People are going to be dissecting every piece of that discovery yeah. that they're that they can get their hands on, and I don't know when that will be. That could be in years from now that we we would see that. But I know, you know the discovery paperwork was very generic, and people were making more out of it than it was. Of course, if you don't, nobody will read your story. So wait. Say that one more time. The discovery paperwork that we just went over was very generic. Mm -hmm. it, it looked exactly mm -hmm. like the paperwork for my first divorce. Yeah, it sure looks that way. So, but you have to look at, but you have to look at, well, <laughs> you have to like really look at everything side by side. You got to look at the request for discovery next to the response for the request for discovery and look at, I'm really curious. I'm, I'm really curious. Uh, are they going to show us some of those things from Discovery? Are they going to show us the letters that some people have written him? Um, I wonder. See, I don't know. The Watts, the Watts case was different because the case was essentially closed a few months after because he took a plea. Uh -huh. um, now, I don't, I'm not like a lawyer or any, I, I I'm fairly new to true crime over the past two years, so um, I have no idea when those will be available. 
and to what extent they'll be available. So, because we don't know what's going to happen with this case, honestly. Um, we really don't know. We have no idea what's going to happen. No. So do you, do you <laughs> In tell, my opinion, we have no idea. You want to tell everybody when they can expect you on the pre-show stream? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because um, I want to get that figured out. Hopefully, my goal is by Wednesday, if there's a show Wednesday. Wednesday. Let's say maybe Wednesday I'll be DJing the pre-show. All right. DJ Hot Ham. DJ Hot Ham. Hopefully we'll get that get that ready by then. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm we're working on it. But um yeah, I'll let you go. I'll get back in chat. I got I'm worried about Susan. I don't know what she's been doing in there. Nothing so. good, I can tell you that. Yeah. She yeah, said that her husband said that you and her sound alike. That's why I said I'm the bizarro Susan or she's a bizarro me, I don't know. I bet you guys could trick me and I wouldn't know who was who. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> I gave I just gave Susan an idea. All right, thank you for calling me. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Later. Later. I got a question for you guys. Uh, this is a poll that was put out on the Moscow Murders section in Reddit, and it provoked some thoughts in me right here. What do you guys think about this? And I'm sure the defense is going to bring this up. Does the DNA found on the snap on the sheath that matches Cole Berger prove that he was in the house at the time of the murders? Note, in a court of law, a jury is asked, consider the totality of the evidence. But this poll asks you to consider a single piece of evidence and determine if a single conclusion can be drawn from it. What do you guys think? Again, the question is, does the DNA found on the snap on the sheath that matches BK prove that he was in the house at the time of the murders? Although it has to be said that the sheath was found in the house next to one of the bodies. Uh, and that's not added on this question. I would have to say for me, it would be yes. If it was found somewhere else, I'd have to say maybe no. What do you guys think? And we'll answer this together. If there was no blood on it, they could say it was planted. It would hard to it would be hard for there not to be blood on it, that's for sure. So I'm gonna put yes and we're gonna see what the answer to this is. Vote. You must be logged into the vote. It won't let me vote because I won't log in. Here's what some of the people say. In a vacuum, it just means he has handled the sheath before. The jury doesn't even look at a single piece of evidence in a vacuum, though. They look at all the evidence. And it doesn't even necessarily mean that. It could have been the result of secondary DNA transfer. By itself, no. My DNA is in people's houses all over the place that I've never entered, I'm sure. Exactly what does that mean? It sure is, and there's DNA in each of our houses that belongs to people we've never met. Okay. Somebody put, no, it doesn't. And all the yeses are basing their answers on their opinion of all evidence and surrounding events, not DNA evidence alone. Oh, let all the incels unite. 
Would a jury make their decision based on one piece of evidence? I sure hope not. Someone put LOL. It's the last one I'm going to read here. Didn't I read that the DNA on the snap had 99.9% chance of coming from a son of BK's father? Right. He has handled the sheath before, and the sheath was found beside one of the victims. Just something I wanted you guys to think about. Moving on here. Random on purpose is what this one is called. If the theory that nothing burger wanted to murder someone to murder someone, not crime of passion, etc., is true, it would make sense for nothing burger and the four victims to be complete strangers. If you were to have the desire to murder just to murder and want to get away with it, someone completely random is your best bet. I bet nothing burger thought he would completely stump le you know that's that's interesting these are people that he didn't know them but it did look like he was stalking them of course you're going to want to stalk them if you're going to want to know where they are and when they're there that doesn't mean you know them so i'm very interested in what some of these people have to say No disrespect to OP, but I believe what's behind this post is a somewhat widely held assumption. This guy was a genius in his plotting with everything chosen to leave police flummoxed. Reality was they had their first whiff of BK after only two weeks. More likely, he chose his victims based on some deeply rooted anger, resentment, or weird psychopathic or some weird psychopathology, regardless of if or how many they knew how much they knew each other they there are plenty of dr- of <laughs> oh this is like reading dr seuss here hold on there are plenty of ding-dongs in postgrad programs and these days one can find a postgrad degree available for just about anything best way to stump ellie is to not leave evidence behind that ties you to the scene of the crime At the time, it took place. I'm going to read one more here. I'm going to read the chat room real quick. Somebody says, and I want to know is, what I want to know is, why it wasn't on his belt. Because I know I'm not there. I'm not there much of a nice person. I'm not that much of a nice person. But I know if I had a knife that was a sheath, I'd put it back in it. Somebody saying a cop did it. The cops covered it up. Somebody said, did you call in hot ham? I'm going to read one more response here. Exactly. Clearly, he wanted to experience the murder. But at 100% random, he could have gone on foot on his own campus, leave phone at home nonchalantly, get in the car afterwards, to go dispose of the evidence like he likely did from Moscow. One more, I just can't help it. I do believe he felt genius in his plotting. Of course, he was not. But my guess is that he felt that way. I agree with your stance. 
All right, again, the guys, the phone line is still open, 325-261-0892. I do want to let you guys know about this. If you're on Spotify, you guys had a contest for a hat, and you've not claimed your hat. We've said the winner already. I gave you 48 hours, and yet those 48 hours have slipped by, and you don't have your hat. Your hat. I'm going to give you one more chance. Because I don't know, maybe it's hard for you. Everybody's having a hard time lately, right? So let me pull your name up again. I'll, give, I'll let you know what it is publicly. Even though I've already done that on Spotify. Because I want you to have your hat. All right. The Spotify contest... The contest winner for the hat is Nikki Baker. Nikki Baker, you have 48 hours to contact us on our email, midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com, subject Spotify hat contest. If you don't, then the hat will go back into the general contest pool and it'll go to somebody else on Spotify. There, that being said, I'm going to move forward here. And I'm going to look on my email real quick because... I'm really trying to get Cindy on tonight to tell us about her stories. No. I don't. Cindy's not coming on. There's something I'm really disturbed about. Um, Let me play this for you. This is the husband. I find this disturbing, not as disturbing as I did our last show. All right, I'll just read it to you. I'll read it to you. Why not? Husband of Massachusetts mom accused of strangling three young children. Details shock and pain. Oh, go away. I don't care about politics. All right, here we go. The husband of Lindsay Clancy, the Massachusetts murder mother accused of struggling of strangling her three young children to death is asking people to forgive her. The shock and pain is excruciating and relentless, Patrick Clancy said in a statement posted by GoFundMe organizer Matthew Glasser. I want to share some thoughts about Lindsay. She she recently has been portrayed largely by people who have never met her and never knew who the real Lindsay was. Our marriage was wonderful and diametrically grew stronger as her condition rapidly worsened. I took as much pride in being her husband as I did in being a father and felt persistently lucky to have her in my life. Lindsay Clancy, 32, is under police custody in a Boston hospital. She's been charged with two counts of murder, three counts of strangulation or suffocation, and three counts of assault and battery with dangerous weapon, according to to an arrest warrant. There's a picture of her and her family. Now, here's a question I, I have for you is... 
you know, we didn't know her. We didn't know what their relationship was like. We don't know her medical conditions. And at this point, we don't even know whether or not she was being treated or not. You know, as in the instance that we talked about previously, there were red flags. And sometimes red flags are followed up on. We don't know if she's on medication or any of that. So I would really like to know what help she was getting before this happened. So here's a question right here. Midnight Radio, is it true that she still does not know what happened, is unaware about the children? I have no idea. Let's continue to read. Maybe it talks about that right here. There was speculation based on recent Facebook posts that Lindsay suffered from postpartum depression. Obviously, that is speculation. We don't really know, do we? The children were found unconscious with obvious signs of trauma. In the Clancy's Duxbury home, after Patrick dialed 911 on the evening of January 24th to report his wife's attempted suicide. Their names were five-year-old Cora, three-year-old Dawson, and infant Callan, who were reported in media outlets as being between seven and eight months old. The elder children were taken to the hospital where they were pronounced dead. The infant was flown to Boston Hospital for treatment where he later died. I want to ask all of you, find it deep within yourselves to forgive Lindsay, as I have. The real Lindsay was generously loving and caring towards everyone, me, our kids, family, friends, and her patients. The very fibers of her soul are loving. All I wish for her now is that she can somehow find peace, Patrick wrote. Here's some comments. I'm going to read them for you. The phone line is open if you want to make a comment about this. Perhaps you've suffered through postpartum depression before. Perhaps you did and you made the choice not to do something bad. I'd like to hear from you. As a retired police officer, I've seen the effects of postpartum depression. It is very real. I feel very sorry for the family and strength to them. Somebody says, serious question. Do you have the same sympathy for others that have committed violent acts due to unknown, untreated, or mental health issues beyond postpartum depression? As a retired officer, I'm 1,000% sure you've encountered many. In the early in the early 80s, after giving birth to her third child, a friend was in deep depression. Her doctor checked her into a local psychiatrist, hosp- psychiatric hospital. Let me get my glasses on again, guys. Damn it, getting old. Damn it. In the early 80s, after giving birth to her third child, a friend was in deep depression. Her doctor checked her into a local psychiatric hospital where she stayed for three weeks. While I cared for her children, her husband was working long hours, but visited the children in the evening before bedtime. Thankfully, she recovered and was able to care for her children. I shudder to think what could have happened if she hadn't gotten care. But these days, it's more and more difficult to come by. I'm going to read one more. I'm going on, guys. If you guys could call me now about postpartum depression, I'd, I'd appreciate it. They say men can get postpartum depression too. I generally feel sorry 
for this mother and father. To find your life turned upside down must be terrible for the father. I am sympathetic and find that the mother needs to be institutionalized as when she realizes exactly what she did, then she will be broken forever. Not an easy answer to be found here, only grief and sadness. Men feel jealousy. It's bad, Jerry. I don't know. I just thought maybe we could help people by talking about it. Understand it would be a hard thing to talk about. That's okay. I'll tell you what I want to do. I don't know how you guys feel about it. Maybe you could respond there in the chat. So we had our first Midnight Riders workshop. The assignment was, I'm going to let you guys into this a little bit, even though you're not in the Riders group. I just want to let you know what we do there because everybody had a lot of fun. So the assignment was to write a story about going to the store for a loaf of bread. Now, every story has a beginning and a middle and an end. And the simplest elements to any story are that, a beginning, a middle, and an end. This was an easy premise, just going to the store, getting a loaf of bread, and it's one that many of us have done. Therefore, it's very relatable. And for writing to work, uh, talking about fiction writing, it has to be relatable. Ergo, just going to the store for a loaf of bread. Now, how could such a simple story be entertaining? Because of this, it's not what the story is about. It's how you tell the story. All of you guys can be writers. If you've ever told anybody a story, you have the ability to do that. And whether you're melancholy when you tell the story or your tone is happy, that's called tone of writing. So setting the tone of how somebody should feel when you write, when they're reading the words off the page. You're wanting to transform them there and have them feel the emotions. So, if you guys are interested in it, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll read my story for the assignment, which I call bread sacking to you before I end this live. I was just going to post it, uh, maybe, you know, do it up and do a production like I did with um, Haunted Pussycat, but I'm not going to do that. But I will read it to you guys. I thought you guys might be interested this is a first draft, but I think it's pretty well done. All right, here we go. Let me pull it up right now for you. All right, am I seeing some yeses in the chat room? All right. Let me pull it up right now. All right, here we go. All right. Let me look in the chat room here. All right. Okay, I got two yeses. All right. That's good enough for me. I'm 15 standing in front of the barbecue grill beneath the willow tree beside my friend's house. We're low in charcoal and bust up pieces from a wooden pallet for the fire. The flame stretches up, licking the wind, when I realize we don't have anything other than crab legs in the freezer at my house to put on it. 
I think we can put them in a shallow pan of water and close the lid, but I'm not sure. The sun is down and streetlights glare. There's a rare chill in the July air. It must be after nine. I can't remember why my friends and I started so late, but we did. I leave them watching the fire. I'm sure the coals alone will be enough to cook when I get back from the grocery store just down the street. It isn't very far away. Neither is my house. The store closes at 10, so I know I have to hurry. When I get there, I see they're removing the meat from the shelves and cleaning the cases. I maneuver around the carts, which hold the packaged meat. I find a small pack of hamburger meat already formed into patties. I grab a loaf of bread instead of hamburger buns because a loaf is cheaper. I hold a small bag and walk outside. The temperature seems to have dropped. I remember it was 106 during the day, but looking at the red matrix sign at the bank, now it's 79. I always have deep thoughts while walking. This answers my question about why we do things so late at night. We start later because of the Texas heat. I stop at my house to grab the frozen crab legs. Mom got them from a friend of hers, and her and dad are not fond of crab legs, so I don't think she will mind. I have no idea of putting crab legs in a shallow pan with a lid on it on top of a barbecue grill will really work, so I want to ask her. I'm starving. I walk into the kitchen to grab the crab legs from the freezer and look at the time on the microwave. It is 10.15. I have no idea how it got so late so fast. My friends are probably wondering what the hell happened to me. Hungry and exhausted? I decide it's too late for me to go back, so I text them and let them know I'm all right and I'll see them tomorrow. I receive a quick response. F you! Exclamation point. Well, I throw the loaf on the counter and place the patties on a shelf in the fridge and continue to forage. Then grab a small dessert-sized paper plate from the counter and fill it with slivers of the thin, sliced roast I found. My soul freezes as I hear loud slapping noises and a berating male voice, then a woman screaming, echoing from my father's room. The meat and its juices slide to the counter as I hear a body hit the floor, shaking I turn around. My mother runs into the kitchen. I stare at her swollen face as she stands under the pale overhead kitchen light. Her face is purple all over. Her earlobe is ripped in gushing blood. She's holding the side of her neck as blood flows down her fingers. He's killed me! He's killed me! She screams. I walk into my father's room. He sits on the bed as I look around unemotionally. Guns, knives, and swords hang on the walls of his tiny room. How did you hurt her? I'm not mad. I, I just need to know so I can help her. My voice shakes. He stands, hate shining on his face, and walks toward me. I go back to the kitchen where my mother cries, gasps for air, and chokes on tears. He grabs her by the hair and drags her helpless body into the hallway. I stand frozen again in the kitchen as I see my father holding my mother in a headlock and cutting her hair off with a large knife. Squinting through the darkness and tears, I notice the man is not my father. He has a white scalped head, completely shaved bald with a mole in his bone pell neck. He wears a dirty white wife beater and a hole ridden pair of jeans. He is the devil. I watch my mother's hair hit the floor and land in a pool of blood. 
I search the kitchen for a weapon. I see a large pair of razor-sharp trauma shears on the counter. I pick them up and walk towards the man who is scalping my mom. He glares at me and laughs unaffected and continues. I know a threat isn't going to work. If I threaten him, he will kill me with the scissors. I don't want to hurt anyone. I slink back to the kitchen with the scissors down by my side. I look down at hair all over the kitchen floor. We have recently gotten a German Shepherd puppy. He sleeps in the kitchen in a big box which lays on its side. The puppy whimpers and quivers in the back of the box. My little six-year-old brother sits at the front of it, cutting his hair off with a pair of scissors. The reason why flashes in my mind. He wants help. This is his way of screaming for it. The little boy goes to school with all of his hair cut off, but a rough patch is still sticking up in places. Adults will notice something is wrong. It is a good idea, but this time adults aren't going to notice because it's summer and school is out. Also, the man who stands towering over my mother, who quietly sobs on the floor, isn't a man. He's a demon. I'd like to thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate it very much. We'll be back again tomorrow. I'll schedule it. I'll schedule it way ahead of time so you guys know. I appreciate you guys very much. Until next time, all my best. <laughs>